You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. And hey, it's Sarah. And instead of part two of the case that we started last week, um, we are going to listen to a little bit of an intermission case. Um, And I'll throw it over to Grace for a little bit here to kind of explain. Guys, I'm so sorry. Um, I tested positive for COVID today. I just started having symptoms today and I don't think that I could get through my entire story. I feel so bad. It's all ready to go and I'm so excited to tell you about it, but it'll have to be next week. And thank you, Sarah, for covering my butt. It's a good thing that I had downtime this weekend and actually wrote something up because usually I am a fly by the seat of my pants (laughs) sort of preparer. So it kind of worked out for the best. I got lucky. (laughs) I got so lucky to have COVID. Um, No, but we are just going to kind of take a little bit of a break from um, Michael Rosenblum and then we will get back into his case and then grace am i correct that we have a part two and a part three so there's two more weeks coming on this case or is it just one more i'm not quite sure i'm just not sure how long it'll take us to get through it so we'll see (laughs) okay so potentially um two more on him but in the meantime today we are going to talk about the case of rose josephine nath um and before i even get too far into anything. Um, If I am mispronouncing her last name, somebody please correct me. I did watch a couple news reports and they all pronounced it as NAF, but it is spelled with an H at the beginning. So um, if there is anybody connected to the case that knows this family and can correct my pronunciation, if it's wrong, please do so. Um, I want to make sure that we do have her name right. But that aside, um, our case today does come from another Instagram follower. So shout out to BJP1020 for this case suggestion. Um, This is a follower that messages us every once in a while just with some feedback and some case suggestions. So definitely glad to take these suggestions. I had never heard of this case and it's not really too far from all of us. So kind of excited to dive in. This is also a case that has recently been hitting the news circuit again, especially in the Lehigh Valley area where the murder occurred. And there are some pretty current articles that you'll see linked on the blog from WFMZ.com. And in those articles, um, they've got kind of just some more recent publishings. Um, Not so much new information, but in case new information comes out after this episode, um, that's a good place to kind of just check every once in a while, just in case you are intrigued by the case and want to follow it. If there are any more updates, of course, as we always do, we will post it to social media as well. But if you want to take a look at any of the recent articles from there, um, there may be some newer ones coming even after the episode is aired. So, all right, let's actually dive into the case now. Today, we're going to be talking about the case of 78-year-old Rose Nath. So she was born in 1911 in Northampton, and she spent most of her life in the Lehigh Valley. She worked 
worked for a shirt company, D&D Shirt Factory in Northampton until she retired when she was 65. And um, she actually just loved sewing and loved her job so much that it's also what she did in her free time. Even after she retired, she could always be found at home working on sewing projects or other crafty projects just because she loved it so much. And she kind of reminds me of my own grandma because my grandma is also a seamstress. It's how she made a living. It's what she did from the time she moved up to the States after she married my grandfather. She was always sewing slip covers or drapes or clothing. So this is like the third murder victim that has reminded me of my grandma, which is a little disconcerting, but I guess it kind of keeps it real. So I guess that's a good thing. First of all, I feel that because I had a that Shirley May case. My grandmother's name is Shirley May. Yes. So I totally understand. And also, I just have like a lot of respect for women that like sew and crochet and everything because that stuff just like eludes me. I'm just I'm I like to consider myself <laughs> like crafty, but just yeah. like sewing and I was a fashion major. <laughs> Sewing is just, just that stuff does not come easy to me. My grandmother would make all her, I guess, grandchildren learn. So I've known how to crochet since I've been like five. And I started sewing that early too. It's just something that we do. Oh, don't, don't come over to my house because you'll see the Afghan that's on my couch that I crocheted. <laughs> it's an abomination. It's not that bad. <laughs> it is not bad. For my first project, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, My it looks better than some things I've created, so. Full project. Uh, that's why I stick to getting crafty with words and I just write <laughs> instead of trying to do there things with go. my hands. Um, no, that's, that's funny, though, that you say that because my great-grandmother was a great seamstress like my grandma would go to the movies she would come home and draw a dress that a movie star had on and within 24 hours my great-grandmother would have the dress made she didn't need patterns wow. she would do it or like she would make her own patterns just from looking at it whatever and my grandma is very similar my aunt is also very similar in that respect. And I got some of it. Like I can sew. I know how to, you know, like use the machines and I can hand stitch things if needed. My mom cannot sew a button. Like <laughs> it's, it just skipped her. Her sister is crafty. Her daughter is crafty. She can't do anything. Sorry, mom. I still love you. Well, it's funny because like sewing is like a huge community and it's very drastic in what type of sewing you can actually do. And my grandmother, especially after she lost her husband, joined like a quilting club. And I really feel like it's a quilting um, cult. <laughs> they go hard. <laughs> um, it's no joke. I believe that. I believe that. I just bug my grandma every time I'm in a wedding and I'm like, hey, I know you don't sew anymore, but can you sew for me? And she always does it. But I think Aww. I think one of these days she's going to say, go to someone else. My hands hurt. And she'd be fair in that. But anyway, back to the case. Um, so she just kind of reminds me of my grandma in that sense. Um, but Anyway, so Rose was married to uh, Michael Nath, and he worked at Bethlehem Steel until his retirement in 1972. They did not have any children together, but they did have a bigger extended family. And she had nieces and nephews and really cared for them as if they were her own children. And again, totally relate to that. 
Like, that's how my best friend's kids are with me. Like, they feel like they're my kids. So totally get that. But in 1985, her husband, Michael, died and she started to just spend more time with friends. And she found her way into a bereavement group that really helped to kind of ease her transition into life as a widow. And one of her nieces was quoted in... um one of the articles on the site that I mentioned earlier. And she said that, you know, Rose just always kept herself busy. She socialized often and Rose was always in church anytime she could be Sunday services, like Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I know like now we have like Wednesday services in some churches and it seems like pretty much anytime she could be there, Rose was there. And whether it was just a standard service or a holiday or celebration, she was always there. She was always with her friends and she just definitely filled her time with lots of things to do. So we're going to go a couple weeks before the murder, and then we're going to go into the murder because there's some background information that kind of sort of maybe plays in here. So on December 26th, 1988, burglars broke into Rose's home in the Lehigh Valley, just north of Allentown. Um, Her home was fairly secluded. You can see the pictures on the blog. um, And it's kind of what I would consider to be like out in the country. It wasn't like a big farmhouse on a ton of land, but it wasn't, you know, right in a borough next to other houses. Like she had some space um, and it was kind of like off a back windy road is how it was described in the articles. So because she had this space and there weren't neighbors right next door, that might be why her home was targeted in the first place um, and why you know, burglars broke in at all. Um, now, she wasn't home when they broke in in December, but she did come home and see that her house had been completely ransacked. It was three weeks later then that Rose was killed in her home, and it was also ransacked when her nephew found her. So on January 21st, when Rose's friends noticed that she was not at church, her nephew, uh, John Lahovsky. I'm not 100% sure on that pronunciation either. I couldn't find that anywhere. But her nephew, John, drove over to her house. And when he got to her house, he found her alone inside her single family blue home that was just outside the major road through town. And she was stabbed to death laying on her kitchen floor. Oh, my God. Why did we have to equate her to like our grandmothers? I know. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. And for some reason, stabbings always feel worse. Yeah, it's very personal and very gruesome. Yes. (laughs) The autopsy showed that she was not only stabbed, but she also had multiple points of blunt force trauma on her head. And police say that she clearly fought back against whoever had attacked her. And this really lined up with how she was described by her family members and friends that basically she's not going to take crap from anybody. Let me tell you, there's like granny strength or some shit like that my grandmother used to like her party trick was being able to do arm wrestling and beat like my guy friends in high school and they would not hold back either that's awesome i yeah love that she could probably still throw down if she wanted to that's fantastic i love it i don't know her but i love her (laughs) but yeah they they think apparently granny super strength kicked in 
and that she fought back. Now, after her attack, police were looking to speak with someone who drove a gray pickup truck. I couldn't find any specifics of whether it was just that a gray pickup truck was driving in the area or if they suspected that a person in the truck was tied to it or had just witnessed something. I couldn't find details on where that came from, so I'm just assuming somebody saw a gray truck in the area around that time. But they did not end up having anybody come forward or finding anyone with a truck, so nothing ever came from that request for information. Now, there is a note in the Morning Call article that we have linked on the blog that said police did discover significant evidence when they searched the house, but there was no more detail. And there were a couple other articles that mentioned evidence that had been found, but didn't specify what it was. So there was something that was deemed significant but they just didn't name it out to the public. Some reports did say that fingerprints had been lifted, but there was also no word on whether anything ever came from those prints. Obviously, they didn't solve it from the prints or else we wouldn't be talking about it, but no identification or anything like that that I'm aware of. There was also one article that mentioned a firearm and jewelry being taken during the December robbery. Granny was packing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which I mean, doesn't really surprise me in the Lehigh Valley living alone in a more secluded area. Sure. I don't know. I think it makes sense. um, Even in the 80s for an older woman. I know we typically think of kind of big, tough men that defend the house with guns. But I mean, if I lived alone in the in a more secluded area, I would absolutely have something there. Yep. But I couldn't find any specific information about things that had potentially been taken during the January attack when she was killed, but the house was definitely in disarray. So it's possible that things were missing and the family members just didn't know. Obviously, she couldn't say, oh, this was on my table and now it's not. But the family didn't mention anything. Maybe you're going to get into this, but could it have been staged? As a robbery? I do not get into that. Um, maybe. It's a possible theory. It from what I read, it seemed very brutal. Um, so I I don't know that anything was staged. It is possible. One of the theories that I'll talk about, there's really only two theories. Um, but the second theory that I'll mention is just that someone in the family did it or hired someone else to do it, which could also be why potentially nothing was actually missing. They may have just kind of made the house look disarrayed, but that's definitely not the top contending theory. That's just kind of like a, you know, Reddit comment that's out there. Well, my thought process is if they ransacked her house twice, they did it once and she wasn't there. They came back maybe specifically when she was there. She'd probably tell them where things were, I would assume, if they were going to threaten to kill her. Why ransack it again? I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Like, if it if it's, like, linked at least, it doesn't make sense why they'd ransack it twice. They don't know for sure if it was even a burglary or if it was linked to the burglary in December. And in just about a minute, we'll get into some of the details of the property and all that fun stuff that kind of ties to the robbery and some potential that may have been there. Before I hop into that, just one quick note that the woman who bought the house a year later actually filmed the moments of her move-in, which I could not find, but I just may not have dug deep enough. 
I did try to find it, though. So if anyone can find it, I'd love to see it. But she filmed the moments of moving in and said that there was still, like, fingerprint powder on the windowsills and that evidence of the attack was still present in the home. Now, do you get a discount with that? Right? Like, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Like, you're not even going to clean clean it up? It just seems... Was she like into it? Why was she filming it? Did she think it was like cool? Is she like one of us? And they're I like, whoa, <laughs> crime. I'm moving into a crime scene. I think it was because there was still so much disarray that she wanted to document. Like, this is okay. what this looks like. And we always talk about how many times, like years later, especially these older cases, how police go back in and stuff like that. It's like super useful that she probably filmed that for their use. I would think. And, I mean, that might honestly be why I couldn't find it. It might be that that was handed over to police and that it only exists in the police department as part of the cold case. So maybe that's why I couldn't find it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That can definitely come back to help. Plus, what would have this been like 1990 or something? Like, who knows if the video ever would have been uploaded to that's the internet? That's true. It's probably on... One of those weird little tapes. <laughs> weird little tapes. The, like the little ones that you had to put into the bigger one to be able to watch it. Yeah. Do you remember those? Like okay. that's what my baby videos are on. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, same, but still makes me feel old. And I'm the youngest one here. Anyway, so uh, this is kind of where the theories come in. And this is where the robbery theory i have a little bit more details here so the big theory with this is of course that it was tied to that robbery three weeks prior um it is more common than i thought that burglars will try to hit the same place twice if they can especially if the owners seem to have any sort of wealth and i don't know if that's because the burglars think, oh, they'll just get more cash out and leave cash somewhere in the house, you know, so that if they stole like a checkbook that they can't, you know, spend money out of the account. I have no clue. I am not a burglar or a repeat burglar, so I do not know their thoughts. So you say. Uh, so I say. But it was stated in a couple of the articles that it is more common than we might think that they'll try to hit the same place twice. And when Rose died, she did leave behind over $180,000 in cash and bonds and over $235,000 in property. So when you take that from 1988 dollar value up to 2022, that's over $417,000 in cash and bonds and just shy of $545,000 in property. So that's a a good chunk of change i mean putting those together yeah. we're looking at all but a solid million dollars so she probably also had items in her home that were well taken care of that may have been valuable but maybe just couldn't be taken in the first trip maybe the first trip was just kind of hey we're gonna snag some jewelry and the firearm and then we'll go back for more of the little trinkets later or more jewelry or whatever i mean it it would make sense if you're committing robberies and you're trying to get money that you're going to go back to somewhere that you know has good stuff or a lot of cash. So, I mean, it's not, I guess it's considered a robbery, but 
the kid that I went to high school with that was in my homeroom. And like, I'm kind of close ish to the girl he's dating now. Like I know her and we talk, but he robbed a bank. He robbed the same one three times in a row. Wow. Yeah. It was, I think the time. I, I like to me, I'm like, why go back to the same one? Because why go it back? worked the first yeah. time. Like that's, you're just running out of your luck at that point. Yeah. Did he ever get caught? Oh yeah. The third time he got caught and he, he's, uh, but now do you know, that's who owns it. Oh, that's who owns it. Yeah. But that's crazy. I know it's when I worked at a bank, that was my biggest fear was like someone was going to come in and try to rob me. But the thing is, like the first couple times he didn't even make out with more than like a 100 bucks because in your teller drawer, you're not holding that much. The first time it was only like right. 30 bucks. And oh, my God. And I think the third time he did it, it was like the same day as the second time. I don't I I mean, it was for drugs. So I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Less logic. Yeah. I worked at a Sunoco when I was like 20, but like night shift. That was no definitely thanks. one of my biggest fears. And like the, yeah. the posters, you probably had similar ones in the bank that told you like, don't be a hero. Just like <laughs> yeah. give them what they want. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of my coworkers got robbed like while I was on the way into the bank one day, but I was not there yet. Yeah. They never caught Yikes. the guy either. So that's oh my god yeah i thought maybe you ran out of the bank and you caught him and then they threw you a party and... yeah that's exactly what did not happen actually um but anyway so i i do think it would make sense and i mean we've got some proof here from chelsea's story there that people will go back to the same thing it makes me think of how i met your mother when they talk about the re-return but i don't know if anyone understands that show as detailed as I have COVID brain, so I can't, I don't understand any references right now. That's fair. On top of, you know, just the fact that she did have some money, her house was also out in an area that she didn't have too many like witnesses around her. Cause again, she didn't, she was kind of out in this more secluded area. So hypothetically it would be an easier target. Plus they probably realized when they were there the first time that she was older and you know, I probably wouldn't be too afraid of an older woman especially if i knew i was stealing the firearm so i mean it it does kind of line up but i don't know that's really the only documented theory only other thing that came up was just the idea that i mentioned before that someone in the family did it or hired like a hitman to do it and of course you know anyone can come off any way that they want you know, you can make yourself seem like a better person than you are. But based on the interviews with the family and the way that they spoke of her, I can't imagine that it was one of them who was saying or who was willing to kill her or put a hit out on her because they all, you know, really cared for her, saw her as a mother figure. So, I mean, she had a decent estate. Maybe it was a family member that was hoping they would get an inheritance. Um, but I think inheritance gets held for murder anyway. So I don't murder people for inheritance. Just don't do it. It never works out. It never works out. Just don't do it. So that's really it as far as the theories go. I mean, I wish there was more information and I, I actually spent 
time over three or four different days trying to find different sources, just like trying to approach it with a new mind to think of new ways to search. And I could not find much more information. So if anyone happens to have a connection to this case that maybe is able to provide some more details, we can do an update just to get more information out there and hopefully get some answers. The state trooper who was interviewed for the morning call article said he thinks the best thing that's going to happen to help this case is just going to be to get people talking again. Um, either, you know, someone is getting older and wants to clear their conscience or um, someone that uh, spoke to police before, but would maybe be willing to speak to them again. Um, I guess kind of the thought that law enforcement today might be able to compare with claims that were made in 88 to see if anything has stayed the same versus like some details changing. And I was actually watching an episode of And That's Why We Drink, which I know is super shocking because I've only mentioned it in all of our most recent episodes, where someone was caught because he changed one sentence in an interview like 15 or 20 years later. It was a case where he was the one that did it and he claimed when it happened that he was out deer hunting. So that was his alibi. And then when they talked to him again, like what, 15 or 20 years later, they said, have you ever hunted deer? And he was like, what are you talking about? No, I don't hunt. What an idiot. (laughs) Right. So because you don't think about those details over that amount of time. So if there is anybody that you think may have been tied to this, may have been suspicious, even if police already spoke with them, you can absolutely call in with the tips again they're willing to bring people back in just to kind of update information or see if somebody remembers something new so you can reach out to the tip line at 610-861-2026 or as always you can get in touch with the PA Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4PA-TIPS so that's 1-800-472-8477 That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.